In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we will study the letter of St. John, the second letter. And God willing, next week we'll study the third letter as well. Obviously, letters in the time of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ and the time of St. John, they're not easy. They're not like just your simple text messages that you sent or an email you sent. To send a letter means you have to write it on some sort of uh, an animal leather and you have to find somebody that can deliver it and you're going to have to do so much work to send a letter. So letter was considered to be an extremely official document and it's extremely important, okay? And it was used to facilitate conversation as a bridge. In a, in a way, it kind of made the absent person more present. When you send a letter in antiquity, it's like something really, really big, really huge. It's really like you really care, okay? So it's not just simply sending an Amazon package. It's much more than that, okay? Uh, and the letter of St. John, who, who is St. John? If you guys, all you guys know, of course, St. John the Beloved. He's a brother of St. James, a son of Zebedee. Some of the closest disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. They attended with our Lord the Transfiguration, the, the raising of the daughter of Jairus, he was our Lord, with our Lord until the cross. He's one of the most faithful disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's also one of the youngest. And God allowed him to live until he was extremely old. Some people say he lived, uh, obviously, toward the end of the first century. So he could have almost reached uh, 100 years old. He was the last disciple to actually depart and he was not martyred, which is also quite significant because you might think that, you know, people who are martyred, they love God more or less, but God did not allow him a chance to get martyred. God picks specific uh, death to every person according to his will. What's happening? St. John in the gospel, in the gospel of John, he emphasized the concept that Jesus is God. That toward, after he wrote the Gospels, people started doubting, is Jesus human? So now we're going to find him in the letters, kind of defending the idea that Jesus is also human. So the Gospels focus on the idea that Jesus is God. The, the letters focus on the idea that Jesus is also human. Okay? He sends two letters, 2nd and 3rd John. I mean, 1st John, 2nd, 3rd, but we're going to focus on 2nd, 3rd. 2nd, he sent it to what we call the elect lady. And we will see as we go through the, the, the letter today that it's most likely it's a church. It's not a specific lady. The third letter, he sent it to a guy named Gaius. So we're going to study this, God willing, next, next week. Some scholars say that the Gospel of John was written around the year of 90. And by the way, if you look at Matthew, Luke, and Mark, a lot of scholars will call them the synoptic gospels. They are very similar uh, in so many ways. And these three gospels share very similar stories. Because John wrote way after them, his gospel kind of includes many stories that are not included in the other gospel. And many conversations that our Lord Jesus Christ had that it is not included in the other gospel. Like, for example, the Samaritan woman is not included in the other gospel. The whole dialogue of the man born blind, you will see it in St. John. A lot of the stories in St. John, the, the conversation with Nicodemus, 
a lot of the stories in the Gospel of John are quite unique. Okay? Uh, a lot of times also, I'm sorry, I'm going to cover a couple of technical things because it also would help us. When you look at the writing style of St. John in the letters, they are very similar to his writing style in the Gospel. For example, John is probably the only person in the New Testament that uses the word, with the exception of Paul, maybe he uses the word paraclete. You see it in the Gospel, you see it in the letters. Certain words St. John likes to use, like agapin, to love. He mentioned it 36 times in his Gospel, 28 times in just the first letter of John. The word to love. He likes to use the word aletheia, which means truth. Martyria, testimony. Because he saw himself as a witness to the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He repeated many phrases like the spirit of truth. We have known and believed. There are certain phrases that St. John loves to use. Okay? But one thing that's really nice, specific about St. John, St. John actually, when he writes, he's writing for a specific purpose. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples to show you the purpose. Look in, in, in St. John, the Gospel, ch chapter 20, verse 31. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Why is he writing the Gospel? That you may believe Jesus is the Christ. So when you read the Gospel of John, your main purpose is to find the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing so that you may believe. First John, chapter 5, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing First John to tell them, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Every letter, he has a purpose. It's not just, you know, I want to send my friend a text message. No, no, no. Third John, I had many things to write to you, but I do wish to write to you with pen and ink. He says, obviously, this is one of his style that he always say, I wish I could write more. I wish I could write more. One thing also about St. John, I'm sorry, I'm, this seems like a bit more technical, but I think it's really nice to know it. In the Greek time, in the ancient time, Greek-Roman culture, there is something called sentenchai, uh, which is mean, it's like the way that you write your sentence. The word sentence is coming from this idea. So the Greek would write any sentence as more of proverb. It's not like, it's not like a sentence. Like for example, they'll say, east is east, west is west and never the twelve the line shall meet. This is kind of the way they would write, okay? So St. John kind of picked the same idea. He says, those who are born of the flesh is flesh, born of the spirit is a spirit. So he presents the sentence as more of an axiom. It's more of a proverb. That's the way he writes. And actually, this is a nice way because it makes you kind of reflect on what he's saying. And a lot of times when people... Just the prologue of the Gospel of John, which is about nine verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was... That itself, by itself, many people can do like just a simple PhD on that prologue, on that nine verses. So his writing style is extremely philosophical and extremely uh, 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 relevant to the culture he lives in. And that's really important for us because if you ask me... What is the role of the church? We're not here to invent anything new. But our role is to take what the church taught and present it in a relative way. A way that people in this era can understand. That's our role. We're not here to bring anything new.
where our goal is to imitate our Lord Jesus Christ and be his voice in a new generation. Why is St. John writing this letter? It's because there are some people who he calls basically heretics. He calls them antichrists. Who are these people? He says they went from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they were, went out that they may be made manifest and none of them were of us. So apparently a group, people from the church, they were believers and then they left the belief. Or they continued to be titled as Christian, but they start spreading false teaching. The St. John is saying, I'm writing this letter because there's a problem. There are some heretics around spreading wrong information. And I need to be very clear that what they're saying is not true. And what is he going to emphasize on? That our Lord Jesus Christ actually what came in the flesh. God came in the flesh. That's why in 1 John he will tell them, test the spirits. You have to test it. Not every spirit that comes to you is true. And then he would actually use a very vivid image when Cain killed Abel. And he'll say these heretics are almost Cain who's killing the church. So this is really quite important because it's really it's, it's important for us, especially in the Orthodox faith, faith, to be very steadfast in what we believe in. Very steadfast. And we're going to go through this letter because it's going to explain us the importance of, of this. Just want to give you a quick historical background before we start the, the, the letter. Where are we? We are in the Greco-Roman culture. So the Greek have spread all over the world. They created roads. The Greek language spread all over the world. And then our Lord Jesus Christ came. So people travel from one place to another. Now what happens when you travel from one city to another city? You're looking for somebody to host you. Okay? In the time of the Romans, they used to have what we call the inn. Inn is like a nice hotel or a motel. Okay? But actually, inns were known to be very bad places. This is, I'm going to quote to you guys some of the things that were from the Greek Roman uh, historians. They said, ends were notorious, notoriously dirty and flea infested. So ends were not very clean. Okay? Bed bugs and all the crazy stuff that you will see. Okay? Also, historian says, innkeepers were notoriously greedy. So if you ever go to a, an, an inn, it's not only you're going to enjoy all the fleas and the, all, the, all the nice things in the, in the inn, but also the innkeeper are known to be greedy. So what happens is when you have a missionary, a Christian, who's traveling for one, from one place to another, he wants another Christian to host him. But they don't know each other. They don't have a way to share photography with each other. They don't have, they don't have internet. So usually they come in, they send letters to each other, I'm sending John to this church. I'm going to send him a letter. Be like, please receive him. And you see this. St. Paul, for example, was hosted by Lydia in Philippi. Jason in Thessaloniki. It was hosted by Jason in Thessaloniki. Gaius in Corinthian. Uh, Philip in Caesarea. Everywhere you go, there is somebody who would host him. Would host St. Paul. He would not stay at an inn. Okay? So the letter is sent to the church. Because people are going to come to the church and ask them, can we stay over? Who are the people who are coming to ask? 
the heretics. And St. John is going to tell us how to deal with that. So let's start the letter. says, the elder to the elected lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all those who have known the truth. So any letter you sent, just any email you sent, you have a greeting. So he's saying who is sending the letter? The elder. The word elder does not mean he's an old man. He is actually at this point an old man. But it also reflects his office as a priest. And St. John is quite unique for this. He never mentions his name. Unlike St. Paul. St. Paul says, Paul, the bond servant, follow Jesus Christ. You feel like in the life of St. Paul, he likes to be unknown. Even in the Gospels, when he refers himself, he says, the person, the disciple that Jesus loved. And it is something that is quite important for those who truly are in love with God, they strive to be unknown to the world. Because their bond with God becomes more intimate when they are enclosed with the relationship with the Lord. The fact also that he says the elder without defining his name means people know him. Remember, this is at the end of the first century and all the disciples have already departed to heaven. So he's the only last person who, who's living. He's the, the one there to keep the faith. So when he said the elder, everybody knew who exactly is he talking to. Now he says the letter is sent to the elect lady and her children. Who is the elect lady? Some people said the elect lady was a lady. Her name is Electa. Some people said it's Korea. But most fathers and scholars say the elect lady here refers to a church. A specific church. Why? For a couple of reasons. One, he does not use the definite article when he defines the church, which most likely he's talking about a, a, a personification of the church. The other thing is you'll find that St. John uses not only second personal singular, but he uses also second, singular, second person plural as he goes through it. He doesn't do this with the third letter of third John. The letter of third John is only sent to one person, and he only uses second person singular. So the writing style shows that he's actually talking to a church. Okay? And when you see the message, it will be even more clear. To represent the church as a, as a person, it's something that's actually quite common in the scripture. For example, in Ephesians, St. Paul represents the church as a wife to our Lord Jesus Christ. Corinthian, he presents us to a bride as a husband. For I am jealous for you with godly jealous, for I have betrothed you to the one husband, that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ. Why would St. John not say the name of the church. Simply because at this time, persecution against Christianity became very heated. Remember, when Christianity started, people, if they persecute Christianity, they think of Christianity as a sect of Judaism. Toward the end of the first century, now the name Christianity starts becoming known. In order for him not to make it clear that this is a church, he would use kind of, he, does, he used like a personification of the church. So people, obviously, if somebody finds the letter, does not go and, and destroy the church. Because the church at that time was just simply a house. People in their house will turn the house into a church. Is that clear? Yes? Okay. 
Now, look what, how Jean describes his relationship to the church. He says, I love the church that I love in truth. I'm sorry, something also very technical, but it will really help us a lot. In the Greek world, they used to look at things as in two realms. There is the divine realm and there is the earthly realm. And all abstract idea like truth, uh, uh, light, life, love, all come from the divine realm. Okay? The earthly realm is always a an, an, an realm of instability. The divine is a realm of being. The earthly is a, is a realm of becoming. And they always say that the relationship between the two realms is there's an element of divinity, divine spark in the earth. That's why even though the trees die, human dies, but still there's an element of life. Okay? So when St. John says, I love in truth, he's talking about a, something that is not from the worldly realm. Something from a divine realm. I love you that, through a love that I have received from God. I love you through a love that I have received from God. I love you because God has showed me how to love in truth. Obviously, love for us as Christians has many elements. Love has commitment, has sacrifice, has acceptance, has feelings, communication, trust, forgiveness. Love encompasses so many things. So he says, I love the church in that way. What does that mean, I love the church in that way? When I see weaknesses in the church, if I truly love the church, I should not go and expose the church. If I see need in the church, if I love the church, I should actually become an active member of the church and solve and try to fill that need. I'm always fascinated by the story of Noah. When Noah got drunk, Noah got drunk. He committed a sin. And one of his three children decided to expose his nakedness and make fun of him to his brothers. What did happen? God cursed him. Because he's uncovering his dad at a moment of weakness. Do you love the church or no? Are we there to judge or are we there to be active members? Do I love it in truth or not? Love does not envy. Love is not buffeted. It's all stuff that St. Paul says. When St. Paul says, I love you in truth, it means I love you the way that Christ loved you. If you guys remember Moses the prophet, when God came and told him, the people are here are stiff-necked and I want to destroy them. What did Moses say? Told them, God, if you destroy them, wipe me with them. I die with them. How many people in the world can love in truth like Christ loved? How can I see people the way that our Lord Jesus Christ see them? How many times I can forgive? And when St. John says, I love you in truth, it means there's also fake love. Love that is motivated by lust, by benefits, 
And a lot of times the fake love is hidden in some sort of truth. Fake love does not present itself as fake. It tries to present itself as some sort of a true love. I care, I want to spend time, I think about you, I cannot sleep without you, all that stuff. Present itself in some sort of truth, but inside it there are fakeness. Like for example, you can have a lot of good, a fun time with your friends, but when you get stuck in a problem, you run to your parents. What is true love? Friends or parents in this situation? Who, who do I feel I can go run to with my problems and they will stand next to me? It's important. That's why it's important when I get involved, for example, in a relationship, it must be based on love that is bound in truth. It is not just any love. Because there's only one kind of love that will be everlasting love that is in truth. And that's why something really important, actually you'll experience this in your life. Every person who shares the same truth and the same love we have, you find them having a special bond. Like a lot of times, for example, you go to a monastery for a personal retreat and you meet a father, a monk or a nun or even a servant and you feel in a short time so much connection to them because you've shared some struggles and experiences with God. Love and truth bonds us more than even the earthly fathers and mothers. And we see this a lot, obviously, in the monastic life. This love must be founded on the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes, he says, I love you in truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So he's telling them, I love you. It's not because we're compatible. It's not because we're drawn to each other. It's not because we like each other. It's because there's something inside of us that abides. By the way, the word abides means it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. So when I am, when I am, I am abiding in a person of our Lord Jesus Christ, means the more I pray, the more my relationship with him becomes stronger. The more I read the Bible, I abide in him. Take communion, I become stronger. I take a spiritual retreat, bonds continue. To hold strong on somebody means to actually spend time with them. And this is the word abiding mean. The truth of God is something that grows in us until we reach eternity. You know, every single prayer you offer, every time you, you obey the commandments of God, this is an eternal act. Every career, every degree you take, it's a temporary act. It will all be gone the day you die. What's eternally lasting is my prayer with God. And this is important. Also, we shall not increase the love which exists between us by diminishing the truth which we hold in common. So sometimes people want to sacrifice the truth just to be more acceptance and more kind. No. Because if you compromise on the truth, you're not going to be able to love. As simple as that. 
Now he finished the, 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 the introduction. Verse 3 is almost greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God, the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Usually at this point, the, the, if you write a letter, you will send some sort of greeting. Hi, how are you? I greet you. But St. John is not sending a greeting. He's more sending a confident announcement. He says, because you abide in the truth, God will give you grace, mercy, and peace. Look, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God. Will be with you. So when I feel like I'm losing my peace, I have to go back to that question. How is my love and truth going? Grace and mercy are things are given to people who because of their, how helpless they are, how guilty they are, how undeserving they are, which means that those who walk on truth, they are not perfect. They need mercy, they need grace. But they are trying to walk on the truth. And when they walk on the truth, God will give them the peace, which is the reconciliation or salvation between the person and God. The other thing you will see today, unlike St. Paul, he told them the peace, grace, and mercy are coming not only from the Father, he said the Father and the Son, because this is part of the core of the letter. He's trying to emphasize the divinity and the humanity of, humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, it is really important for us as Christians to know that God revealed himself to us as a trinity. It's not something we made up Nobody can make up this idea. And God revealed himself to us as a trinity because God is one, but he wants, us, he wants to show us how he loves us. So how does God love me? He loves me with all his being. I get to unite with his only begotten son that I may be adopted to the father. And his spirit, though the bond within the trinity bonds me with God the Father and the Son. The Trinity for us is like almost kind of, maybe this is a very simplified version. It's almost like when God says, love the Lord your God from all your mind, all your heart. Or it's almost the same thing. God's saying, I love you from my Logos, my Son, my wisdom. I love you from the Father, the Source, the Being. I love you from my Spirit. I love you. You're in me. And this love, the, the Trinity expresses that the nature of God is love. If God was only one hypostatus, then how could I say God is love? Who does he love? Because if God existed from the beginning, who did God love from the beginning? If you say he loved himself, then he's a selfish God. But the Trinity shows that you have three persons who are one. This is the mystery of the deepest kind of love. And that's why, uh, and John says, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. So there's a mysterious love that binds us to our Lord Jesus Christ, which eventually binds us to God the Father. So the Trinity is an extremely important concept, or I don't want to say concept, a revelation 
of God to express to us how he relates to us and how he loves us. So our, our love for, to other must not undermine our loyalty to the truth because there is much deeper truth that was revealed to us. Okay? Now from verse 4 till verse 11, we'll talk more about the message. Why is he sending this message? He says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandments from the Father. So St. John, by the way, this is a really nice way. He's sending a letter to correct them, but the first thing he's telling them, I'm very happy that some of your children are walking in truth. He's turning very positive. The fact that a little bit, and he says, I greatly rejoice. He's actually quite happy that some of the children of the church are walking in truth. Okay? And obviously, God has not revealed to us, to us the truth in such a way that makes us, it makes us free to our pleasure or our own belief. The truth is revealed to us and this revelation is a responsibility to us. You guys know in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, look at what this verse, the verse is beautiful. It says, you only have I known of the families of the earth. This is God talking. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The people of Israel are the ones that only knew God. And this revelation meant a responsibility. And those who did not take that responsibility, God said, I will punish you. For you have not taken on the revelation as a responsibility. That's why it's important when I look at the scripture, this revelation means so much to my life. It says, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which have from the beginning that we love one another. To be Christian is to believe in Christ and to, and to love one another. This is what he said in First John, where it says in Colossians. And if we deny the Son and do not love, we neither have nor God. This is in First John. So there's a really strong relationship between love and knowing God. People struggle a lot when they start treating faith as almost their intuition. They confuse faith with their own personal intuition. They confuse love with feelings and emotion. But faith and love are manifested here in the obedience to the revelation of God. That's why in John 3 it says, if people hate the light, it's because their deeds are evil. So here he made it very clear. Love and faith are a choice. Our action that I do. You tell me I love God and you go on these weird vacations and commit sins and make all these difficult choices. You don't love, you don't believe. You're lying. Love is not a feeling. Faith is not an intuition. Both are action. Your action reveal where your choices have been made. Where your choices have been made. Also, St. John says, the commandments I give you is that we love one another. St. John is not excluding himself from the commandments. It's part of him as well to be what to enjoy this command. It says, this is love. What is love? That we walk according to his commandments, to obey the commandment. This is a commandment, 
that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. It's almost like, you know, this is the, what I was telling you earlier. It says, to love is to be obedient to the commandments. So what is the commandment? It's to walk in love. It's basically, it's like a little bit, seems a bit more circular. And this is, uh, by the way, what our Lord said in Matthew. He said, what is, what is the law? It is to love God with all your hearts, mind, and soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What is love? An action. A choice. If I don't forgive, I don't love. If I don't pray, I don't love. If I don't sacrifice, I don't love. Very simple. It's not complicated. And this is quite also, this is, this is the key about the relationship with God. It's simple to understand, but it's difficult to follow. It's not hard. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as the coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. This is the core of the message I was sending, telling you. That he's telling them there are many deceivers who came out into the world saying that Jesus is not God. These are false teachers. These are people who are heretics to the church. He calls them deceivers. Why are they deceivers? Because they came out from the church. They're not people from outside. They're not people saying, I don't, they're not people who say, I'm an atheist and I don't believe. No, no, no. They're people from the church who came out and said, Christ did not come in the flesh. I want to tell you also a couple of things about this because this is important. All religion, Jews, Muslim, Buddhist, are willing to accept Christ as a teacher. They are not willing to accept him as God. Jews have no problem telling him rabbi. Muslims have no problem calling him a prophet. Uh, Buddhists have no problem calling him teacher. But nobody's willing to call him God. And by the way, some theologians, Christian theologians, in some universities in the U.S., are now trying to revive the Arian heresy to say that Christ is not God, but he was used by God as an agent for salvation. So this heresy has been from the beginning until now. Some also theologians will say, Christian theologians, obviously, they're not orthodox, but they will say that Christ was born as a human and then he united with divinity at the baptism when the Spirit descended upon him. All these are different forms of the same heresy. Those who said that Christ did not come in the flesh. Incarnation is not only an event in history, it's an abiding truth. The truth I have to live and practice in my life. These deceivers, he calls them antichrists. Then he tells, look to yourself. Look means be watchful. That we do not lose things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. He's telling them, be watchful of the teaching you have received. Otherwise, you might lose what you have learned what you have received from God. Means some people might start in the right way and then later on, they start compromising in their own teachings and ideas. Like people come and be like, Abuna, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, but there's a couple of ideas in the scripture I don't believe. I don't believe in hell and heaven. Well, it's either you believe it all or you don't believe it. 
You can't pick and choose. This is not a choice. This is a revelation. Imagine if, uh, if the Virgin Mary or our Lord appeared to you today and told you a revelation. How would you treat it? It's not a choice. You believe or no. It says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Can you imagine? If you do not abide in the doctrine of Christ, you do not have God. Who abides in the doctrine of Christ has the Father and the Son. Heretics, by the way, usually claim that go ahead, go ahead view. The word says, whoever transgresses and does not abide. It's kind of, the heretics always like to be like, we're ahead, we're cool, kind of moving forward. This is not it. This is not it. No one can know the Father without knowing the Son. The Son is not only the revelation of the Father, like the Gospel said, but He is also the way to the Father. You see this in John 1.18. It says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bottom of the Father, He has declared Him. It says, If you have known Me, you would have known My Father also. And from now on you know Him and have seen Him. I can only know the Father if I know my Lord Jesus Christ. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So I cannot know God the Father without abiding in my Lord Jesus Christ. How do I abide in my Lord Jesus Christ? Baptism. Communion. Communion. I unite with God. People who spend weeks and months and years not taking communion, how do you abide in God? The Lord Jesus Christ says, when you take my, eat my body, drink my blood, you abide in me. When you keep your, my commandments, you abide in me. If I don't keep the commandments, if I don't take communion, I don't know God. It's that simple. Because the knowledge of God is much deeper at the core of my spirit. Many people today, once wants God without accepting our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want to accept the sacrifice of the cross. They, want, they don't want to accept the faith that our Lord Jesus Christ have revealed to us. They want to pick and choose. Some people want to come and say the miracles that Jesus performed were not true. Some people want to come back and doubt the scripture. They want to accept a small part and not the full revelation. We as Christians are not called to, to progress beyond Christ's teaching. We are called to imitate what Jesus taught. Look what John tells him. This is verse is really important. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that Christ, God, came in the flesh, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. I want to explain this verse a bit more because it seems a bit harsh. So St. John says, if they come to you, don't greet them, don't welcome to the house. So what is he talking about here? There's a big difference, guys, between heretics and non-believers. Heretics and what? Non-believers. Atheist, Muslim, Jews, anybody who is non-Christian is a non-believer. When does the church label somebody as a heretic? When somebody is from the church teaching wrong doctrine... So the church calls him heretic so people can be careful and not follow his teaching or her teaching. And then what is the church kind of executive action? It's usually excommunication, 
means they cannot take communion or they cannot partake of the church. So this is not regarding unbeliever. This is regarding heretics. You have to actually go preach to the unbelievers. Okay? So St. Paul is talking about the people who were among us and they left us because we will never with us. Okay? These are people who are heretics who are part of the church and left the church. Is that clear? Because it's really important. Okay? Now he's also saying do not greet them and receive them into your house. Remember, St. John is sending a letter to a church. Homes used to be churches. So he's saying, the teacher of the false teaching, you should not receive them into your churches. By the way, not the followers of the false teachers. Because the followers need somebody to correct them. He's talking about the leaders, the false teachers himself. Do not receive them into your church. Okay? What does that mean? I'll give you a practical example. You have somebody who is, for example, excommunicated from the church. And I decide to bring him to the church and make him give a sermon. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a violation of this commandment. Right? Now, let's say I have an unbeliever who's expert on addiction. And I bring him to talk about addiction. That's not violation from this, of this document. Because an unbeliever is not coming in the disguise of a Christian. He's coming specifically to talk about a specific topic. Is that clear or not clear? Yeah? So, for example, if I have somebody who's excommunicated and I invite him over my house, I'm, I'm bringing my family and my friends over to hear his nice heresies. That is a violation of this commandments. Is that clear? That's why churches can meet and people from different faith can meet on an official level. They can talk to each other. They can have meeting. All that stuff is allowed. But I cannot allow people to come to the church and teach if they do not teach about Christ, if they do not share the same faith. Okay? But this is really important. Now, John is saying, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do it so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So what is St. John is saying? He says, there's so many things I want to teach you. And he talks a lot about verbal tradition. But he said, I cannot write it because people can actually misunderstand sometimes what is written. Like when you actually, sometimes a 50 text messages could be replaced by a two-minute phone call. Yeah? So that's exactly what's happening here. St. John says, I wish I could come and talk to you face to face. Why is this really important? Because how do we as Christians learn how to worship? It's not only by reading the Bible. It's by practicing the life of the church. How do I see, smell, experience, watch? Unless I see people before me, how they prayed, how they entered the liturgy, what is a liturgical prayer? How they participated? And where did they see it from? From the people before them. And the people before them. And the people before them. That's why it is extremely important in the church to have verbal tradition. Extremely important to have a life of the church. Life includes a full experience of every senses in the church. Also it says, I want to come that your joy may be full, okay? Obviously, best time you can have when you spend with your friends. And I remember, like, many times when we went to Africa, 
when people ga gather together and sing together and pray together and worship together and have good time together, it really is one of the most joyful time that people have. He says, when I come, we, your, your joy will be full. I remember our church here used to host a celebration for Abu Nabshoi Kamil once a year. And Father Tadros used to attend, Father Luke, God repose his soul, used to attend. And I remember we'd actually meet sometime in people's homes and all the time, it was like a beautiful fellowship, people coming from all over the world, constantly sharing beautiful story, sharing beautiful experiences, praying, enjoying, like you go there for a few hours and you feel you have developed a new family and you feel very spiritually lifted. But there is a joy that is fulfilled when we gather together. Then the last verse, he says, the children of your elect sister greet you, amen. Who is the children of her elect sister? The church that St. John is writing from. So he's saying, I, the whole church that I have here, all of them greet you. You guys remember, think about churches in this time as households. It's a home with many, many few families are living together. So it's a group of family greeting another group of family. And that's also a, a, as part of the part of the spirit of the church, that everybody's involved. You know, like some people in our culture talk a little bit about how uh, the history of of the world is extremely oppressive and patriarchal system and all that stuff. But when you watch the scripture, you don't see that as much. You actually see Abraham, God telling him, "Listen to your wife." You see women leading armies. You see people sending letters and including even the people who are their own disciples. So there's a bit more of a, an, a, 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 an historical evidence that is in the scripture that reflects how these societies operated. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.